We've been studying what has been called for centuries the seven deadly sins. It's not a list that you'll find in Scripture uh, altogether, but yet they are all found in Scripture individually. The, the twist, the list has been tweaked throughout the centuries, and here is the traditional one. The seven deadly sins are lust, gluttony, greed, sloth, wrath, envy, and pride. I want to focus on wrath this evening. As a key text, I suggest James 1, 19 and 20. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. Many of us have memorized that passage, but note the, the next verse. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Or man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. And James is saying, and, and we'll talk about an appropriate expression of wrath or when it's appropriate to be angry. But James is saying as a general truth that the wrath of man, when man is, is angry and wrath, full of wrath, that that doesn't produce, doesn't bring about the righteous life that God desires. And I know we can reflect in our own lives and the lives of others when wrath or anger has led to regret and led to many other problems. And we see the truthfulness of James' words here. Alan Isbell wrote, One burst of frenzied rage can corrupt what the gentle dues of patience and kindness required a decade to build. I thought about the song, Angry Words, Oh, Let Them Never. From the tongue unbridled slip. Brightest links of life are broken by a single angry word. For a few moments this morning, I'd like for us to just look at several passages in which people got angry. They, had, they were full of wrath and what it caused in each of these situations. Sometimes we learn best by seeing examples. And so here are some examples of anger. Cain was angry. Cain was angry. In the process of time, so says Genesis chapter 4, verse 3, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain's response, Genesis 4 verse 5 says, And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So here's that anger, here's that wrath, and what did it lead to as far as Cain goes? The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry, and why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose against Abel his brother and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood. 
from, from your hand. What did anger do for Cain? It caused him to, to be against his brother and even to take out his envy and, and his rage and take the life. Anger was the first precipitous to the first murder that's recorded in Scripture. Cain was angry. The elder brother was angry. Let's look at Luke chapter 15. We'll pick up after the prodigal son has returned home and, and the father's rejoicing and he's ready to kill the fatted calf and have a feast. Rejoice for my son was dead and it is, it is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry, the scripture says. Verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come because he has received him safe and sound. Your father has killed the fatted calf. And his response, verse 28, but he was angry and would not go in. He was angry and would not go in. His anger, again, caused him to have harsh feelings about his brother and the reception that he got. In fact, it goes on to say in Jesus' parable how his father came out and pleaded with the elder son. And the elder brother said, now he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I've been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. And as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. I think there's some exaggeration there, don't you? I've never broken any commandment of yours. You never killed the fatted calf for me. And he's not claiming kinship now. He says, instead of my brother, he says, your son. The father says to him, son, you're always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make Mary and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. What did anger do for the elder brother in Jesus parable? It caused him again to feel harshly toward his brother. But it also caused him not to rejoice. When his brother had come home. And he missed out or he failed to recognize the blessings that he had enjoyed all along. The elder brother was angry. Moses was angry. Twice, rather than speaking to the rock, he brought heavy blows against it. In Numbers chapter 20, God told Moses to speak to the rock. And water would come forth and, and provide drink to the people of Israel in the wilderness wandering. But in Numbers chapter 20, verse 9, we find these words. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? And he lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came out abundantly. And the congregation and their animals drank. And Moses is angry. It seems that just 
As soon as he got the people of Israel, led them out of Egyptian bondage, crossed over the Red Sea on dry ground, that they began to complain. And here's yet another occasion. It seems to me Moses is angry and frustrated with these people who keep complaining and doubting that God's going to care for them. So God says, speak to the rock. And again, water will come forth for the people. But in anger, he strikes the rock twice. What did that do for Moses? Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron. Because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this congregation into the land which I have given them. His anger caused him not to hallow God, to revere God, to obey him in his instructions. And for that, he was not allowed to lead the people of Israel into the promised land. How many priceless treasures and fond hopes are denied us because of angry outbursts? How many good things have we ruined because of anger? Moses was angry. Here's another. Naaman was angry. Naaman was angry. Naaman was commander of the Syrian army. Very successful as such. But he had a major problem. And his problem was he had this dreaded disease of leprosy. On one of his raids through the land of Israel, there was a servant girl that was obtained. An Israelite that became a servant girl to Naaman's wife. And this little girl had a lot of faith. And she said, oh, that that Naaman, or that my master would be in Israel, then the prophet could heal him of his, of his leprosy. Well, Naaman's wife told him about that. And so Naaman goes to the king of Syria, and the king of Syria writes a letter to the king of Israel and sends a, a bountiful gift to him to, to purchase Naaman's healing. And when the king of Israel reads the letter, he says, Am I God? To, to, I don't have the ability to, to heal. And Elisha gets word. And I want to pick up the reading in 2 Kings 5, verse 8. So it was when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So here goes Naaman to see Elisha. Elisha, again, a prominent man in Syria, a successful commander. A man of position and power. He went with his horses and chariot, verse 9, and he stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger to him. And I'm sure that's an insult to this man of power. He sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored to you, and you shall be clean. But Naaman became Furious. There's that wrath. There's that, that anger. And went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, He will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Farfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away 
in a rage. And had he proceeded on that course, he never would have obeyed the prophet's instructions and he never would have been healed of his leprosy. It's his servants who tried to talk some sense into him, as we might say. And said, if, if, if he would have told you to do some great thing, go and conquer some people, wouldn't, wouldn't you have done it? Why can't you do this small thing? So he went down and dipped seven times in the Jordan, verse 14, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Naaman's pride and anger almost kept him from obeying the prophet's instruction. Perhaps he's a good illustration of this proverb fourteen seventeen: A quick-tempered man acts foolishly. These are just a sample of many examples of, of those who got angry and what their anger led to. Discord in the home, brother against brother, even murder, even... As in Naaman's case, almost missing out on, on this tremendous blessing. Not being able to enter the promised land in Moses' case, but seeing it from afar. And again, over and over. There was anger expressed and the damage done. Perhaps one thing that should impress us is that this was a common problem even among God's people. Let me change directions here and ask this question. Is anger ever appropriate? Is anger ever appropriate? And to that I would answer, Jesus got angry. You remember the setting. He comes to the temple and he cleanses the temple twice. This is the first one. In Genesis chapter, or John chapter 2 rather, we read these words in verse 13. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and, and poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples rem remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. Now many have tried to describe this anger as righteous indignation. But whatever term you want to use, I think it suffices to say Jesus was angry. And he was making a strong point here. His, the temple of God was being used as a, as a place of merchandise. They were abusing what was to be a place of prayer for their own personal gain. And so he overturned the tables. He drove them out. Is anger ever, ever appropriate? Coming from the Son of God who never sinned, we would have to say it is. When is it appropriate? What is righteous indignation, righteous anger? Again, quoting Alan Isbell, he says, Righteous anger is distinguishable by these characteristics. First, it's unselfish in its motive. We see in Jesus, it's all about an abuse of, 
of something that should have been holy. It wasn't about himself. It was about his father's house, the temple that was being abused. Second, it seeks to help. He was correcting their understanding in a way that would be unforgettable. And thirdly, it issues from from love. There are times when anger, properly expressed, is appropriate. Be angry and do not sin, Ephesians 4.26. Or in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, neither give place to the devil. And in that context, in putting those verses together, it seems that when anger becomes uncontrolled or expressed in an inappropriate way, then we're giving place to the devil. We're giving the devil a foothold. Again, going back to the terrible consequences of inappropriate anger. But there are times when anger is appropriate. Notice these words by Robert McCracken. There are occasions when not to be angry is a sin. Tolerance or apathy in the presence of evil may mean that we are the victims of evil and even its instruments. There can be no spiritual life without moral indignation. Notice that there are occasions when not to be angry is a sin. Shouldn't sin anger us? Isn't God angry at sin, if you will? Then, yes, we must distinguish between the sin and the sinner, but sin should anger us. But when does anger become sinful? Notice three ways. Sinful anger is retaliatory and combative in its purpose. And again, we can look to some of God's people, even his own apostles, to see examples. The one I want to highlight is in Luke chapter 9. Here are James and John, and Jesus is traveling, and his face is set, the the Bible says, toward Jerusalem, verse 51 of Luke 9. In other words, he... He knows what's going to happen in Jerusalem. He knows he's going to be crucified for the sins of the world. But he's, that's the course he set his face toward. That's his mission. He's not going to avoid it. He's accepted it. So he's headed to Jerusalem. And on the way, they enter a village where they want to stay. It's a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. And for reasons that probably go back to that enmity between Jews and Samaritans. Jews and what they considered to be the half-breed Samaritans that were unclean. The Samaritans do not offer him a place to stay. They don't receive him, verse 53. James and John speak up, verse 54. When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Lord, do you want us to to ask God to punish them on the spot? But Jesus turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. And they went to another village. 
You see, their anger, James and John, though they wanted their Lord to be properly received, which the Samaritans had not done so, they had this retaliatory combative spirit, this get even spirit. Lord, just allow us to ask God to destroy them. Jesus warned them of that sinful spirit, that sinful anger. Another anger that is sin is when it's aimed at the wrong thing. Think about Jonah. God sent Jonah to preach to a nation, Nineveh, to preach to the nation of Assyria, Nineveh being its capital. You remember Jonah went the opposite direction because he didn't want to go to Nineveh. It's not that he was... Fearful of of being God's messenger, he didn't want the people of Nineveh to hear the message and repent. Because he wanted God to, to punish them, to destroy them. So he went the opposite direction. And you remember the account in, in the book of Jonah where God caused a storm to rise on the sea and and they Jonah realized he was the, the problem, and so he told the the people on the ship to cast him overboard and a great fish swallowed him and he spent three days and nights in the belly of that fish. And that fish vomited out on the land, vomited him out on the land and now he's ready to go. And so he goes and he preaches repentance to Nineveh. Yet 40 days was his message and Nineveh sh- shall be overthrown. He really wants them to be overthrown. But he's one of the most successful preachers we read about in Scripture. They repent. They mourn. They realize the error of their ways. They turn from their sin. The people of Nineveh repented and God, Jonah 3 verse 10, relented from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them. So he's been successful in sharing the message and the people turn. And how does Jonah feel? Jonah 4 verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord. Oh Lord, was was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore I fled previously to Tarshish. For I know that you are a gracious and merciful God. Slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. One who relents from doing harm. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. Lord, I I told you. I knew you'd forgive them if they turned from their sin. A successful preacher that didn't want to be. He was angered at the penitence of the people. He's angry at the wrong thing. That makes his anger sinful. Anger becomes sinful when it's expressed in inappropriate ways. Peter is another example. When bystanders insisted that he was one of Jesus' followers, kept insisting, you remember the third time, Matthew 26, 74, he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. He lied, out, outright lie, cursing, swearing. And immediately a rooster crowed. 
He became vexed. He was angry. Expressed it in inappropriate ways. You see, anger breeds remorse in the heart, discord in the home, bitterness in relationships. Homes are destroyed, business relationships are shattered, friendships are broken, even lives are taken. When anger is expressed inappropriately. We're issued this warning in the book of Proverbs. Make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man do not go. Lest you learn his ways and set a snare for your soul. There are many reasons for avoiding an angry person. One is because of the harm that could be inflicted upon yourself. Who says that angry person won't won't channel his anger, his or her anger toward you and you suffer the brunt of it? There's this anecdote from history. Cletos was a childhood friend of Alexander the Great. But he met his death by a sharpened spear. Who was the one who threw that spear at him? Was it a foreigner defending his native land on one of Alexander's conquests? Was it a treacherous Judas who had turned against him from among Alexander's army. No, it wasn't one of those. It was a friend whom Cletos had saved a few days earlier. You see, in Rage's mad moment, it was Alexander himself who threw the spear at his friend. One reason for avoiding an angry person is because of the harm that may be inflicted upon us. But that's not what the warning is here. Make no friendship with an angry man. With a furious man do not go. Lest you learn his ways. And set a snare for your soul. The warning here is that. It can become contagious. It can be something that is infectious. And we're in danger of imitating his ways. Avoid the angry man lest you become infected with his malignant temper. You see why James says, be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man, the anger of man, does not produce the righteous life that God desires. It causes problems. It causes us to do things that we regret. It breaks relationships. It causes heartache. But thankfully, even when anger has been been exercised, been expressed in inappropriate ways, and we recognize its, its threatening reality, we recognize there is cleansing. Available and through the blood of Jesus. But as we go forward, as we count the cost of this deadly sin, it compels us to seek for things which make for peace. And that's why when the Jews were angry and they cried out for the crucifixion of Jesus and were successful. That even in that display of anger, God was 
working out his plan. That Jesus would die even for those who cried out for his death. And they would be offered forgiveness. And the same is offered for you and for me. It may be anger. It may be one of these other deadly sins or motives or, or attitudes that it caused us to, to stray away from God. And perhaps we need the prayers of the church to help us get back on track. It may be that there are others who are ready to obey the gospel as Tom and Harriet did this afternoon. If that be the case, if you're subject to the invitation of Christ, please come right now as we stand and sing.